Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. I have a guest joining me for today's episode, and I'm super excited. This is a person who I've looked up to for many years in terms of her mindset work and her empowering messages that she shared, and also a human I've had the opportunity to become very good friends with personally. This human is Lisa Bilyeu. Lisa co-founded the billion-dollar company Quest Nutrition, and she is also co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios, a revolutionary digital-first studio that produces wildly entertaining original content focusing on themes of empowerment. She is the host of Women of Impact, a show I've now had the opportunity to be on two times. And it's a show that features women who have overcome incredible hardship to achieve massive success. Her mission is to empower all women to be the heroes of their own life. Lisa is joining me here today to talk about her new book, Radical Confidence. So welcome, Lisa. I'm super excited to be chatting with you today. And quite honestly, we were having a chat behind the scenes, if you will, in the green room. And I think we both had to remind ourselves to hit record to get this going. Um, I love any opportunity to connect with you and your work. And now I'm super excited that my community gets to meet you and your incredible new book, Radical Confidence. So welcome and thank you for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, girl. You know how much I love and adore you. And so, yeah, we could have chatted for an hour before we started this podcast. Absolutely. So it's funny. We were just to tune everyone in. We were chatting a little bit about uh, my journey on camera in, in this conversation of radical confidence here. And I was acknowledging to you and as many of the community members have probably heard me speak on before, how not confident I was being in public, being on a camera and really many ways in my life. Um, while I think a lot of times people view people, especially when they are more public as having confidence and always maybe having had confidence, that's not always the case. So I'm super excited to hear from you and within this book, um, your own journey and how raw and really taking us through your own development of radical confidence. So I think a really great place to start just to make sure that we're all on the same page here is what the heck do you mean? What is radical confidence? I know a lot of us probably heard of this word and yeah. maybe have some ideas, um, but what, how would you define what radical confidence means to you? So you are literally the epitome and you just gave me the best ball. Like you served me the best ball <laughs> ever because literally exactly what you said, you were petrified. You were so scared to get in front of a camera, to do the videos, but you did it anyway. It wasn't because you had confidence. It was that you had radical confidence. You were petrified, you were scared, but you figured out how on earth do I just get in front of the camera? What are the things that I can do just to get through the shoot? And that to me is what really um, radical confidence is. It's using a set of tools, things that you can go to in moments where you feel freaking petrified. You don't think you can do it. You know that feeling where you're so anxious, you feel like you're, you're nauseous. You're that afraid. Mm -hmm. But how do you act to it? You didn't let that hold you back, right? And if you, you had, you wouldn't be here today. And the fact that you didn't let that hold you back, but you didn't wait for confidence. You just kept doing it. You were petrified and yet you kept showing up. You had strategies. You were like, okay, let me just talk as quickly as possible so I don't embrace <laughs> how, how, how anxious I am. Right? That's actually what you just said to me. So that to me actually is a great tool is that 
for me just to get started, I just need to talk as quickly as humanly possible to get over my anxiety. Great. That's amazing. That's tool number one on how you take your fear and you still do it anyway. So that's really what radical confidence is. People so focus on, I want to feel confident to get started. Mm -hmm. But my message is that isn't how you get to where you want to go. Confidence isn't the first thing that you need. Confidence is the byproduct. Confidence comes after. And But when you say to someone, but just do it anyway, when you're freaking like petrified and feel like crippling anxiety, telling someone to do it anyway doesn't help. Oh my gosh, it almost makes things worse, I think at times. Mm -hmm. That's actually really interesting because now you're like, oh, I can't even do it when everyone's telling me, but don't worry, don't listen to the fist. Now you actually feel more incompetent. Mm -hmm. So that's actually very interesting. And so the thing is, is that, what can you use in those moments where the feeling's very real, but you know it's still holding you back? And so I break down each chapter into these very tactical things of like, don't judge yourself for having a mean voice in the head that's telling you you're no good. You know, don't judge yourself for it, but how on earth do you keep moving forward? So those are kind of the things that I really do cover in the book and like really no BS because as you know, being a therapist and you've been on my show many times, it's like, there's a big difference between what we know is true and then how we actually act on it. Cause it's one thing to know, Oh yeah, you're anxious. Okay, cool. But when you're actually feeling anxious, it's a whole different ball game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that I love, absolutely. In addition to you being so radically honest, if you will, in your book, you know, sharing your own journey, Lisa, is how practical um, you provide tools, like action steps. Before we get there, though, um, kind of us all acknowledging you and me and all of these public figures, and I'm sure a lot of listeners shaking their head like, yeah, I'm not confident at all. Why is that? I mean, what, you know, what kind of, when we think about, and I see this in my community, which is why we're going down this pathway right now. In my opinion, the large majority of us, I'll go far as to say that, lack confidence. We don't feel worthy. We don't, we have a deep rooted insecurity. Um, And I know kind of throughout your story, I know at least the way I conceptualize it, our experiences, sometimes our families, our cultural beliefs, everything that's happened to us more or less contributes, in my opinion, to that lack of security. So I know kind of peppered in your own journey. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what things made it difficult for you or what you think of in terms of this epidemic, if you will, of, of insecurity and why, as far as I am concerned, this book is going to globally impact all of us that are, you know, deeply insecure or not radically confident. I think that's such a beautiful question because here's the thing even in your question is the answer that so many of us are insecure. None of us are perfect. And yet we feel like we need to feel great about ourselves to get started. Mm. And the truth is in my own journey, I was stuck for eight years because I didn't feel like I had the confidence to make a change. I didn't feel like I had the confidence to speak up that I needed, I wanted a different life. I didn't feel like I had the confidence to say, I'm not happy in my life and I want to change. Like all these things I thought needs confidence. And so I waited for eight years in a life that I called the purgatory of the mundane, where it's my, my life was just mundane enough. I never hit rock bottom. So nothing ever jolted me into action. So many people, so many amazing women I've had on my show, their journeys all started by hitting rock bottom. And they felt like, well, I have nothing else to lose. And that feeling 
thing of I have nothing else to lose propels you to try things. It doesn't mean that you feel great, right? It just propels you to try things because you think of the fact that, well, even if I fail, it doesn't matter because I really feel badly about myself. But what if you're not there? So that's where I was for eight years where my life wasn't exciting, but it wasn't rock bottom. And so I felt like, well, I don't have the confidence. And so that's what I was waiting for. Back to your question. The key thing is, is that if you're waiting to feel good about yourself before you try it, you're never going to get there. And the easy explanation is just like, look at a baby, look at children, look at a first, first grader, look at someone that's starting college on day one. Do they know anything? No. But for some reason, because we position it as day one, right? It's your first day of class. It's your first time trying to walk or eat. And it's a baby. So of course they don't know any better. We give everyone the grace to be imperfect, to have the like the insecurities of like, if a baby could talk, they probably have insecurities over, can I walk or not? Right? But they don't let that stop them. So I go, instead of judging ourselves for having the insecurities, instead of judging ourselves and looking at our incompetence, let's look at the goal that we want to achieve. And then let's put out a strategy of how we're going to take those small, minute steps to get there. And to be honest about where you are in your life. So for instance, while I may say I'm a fitness junkie, right? So if someone comes to me and says, Lisa, how do I get arms like you? I'd be like, all right, this is what you have to eat. And you have to eat like this six times a day. And you have to, uh, six, six days a week and you have to go to the gym, right? I would take you all the way into the deep end. Now, maybe you're someone that you just can't even think like that. And that's why you end up being stuck and never doing anything about your health because you look at the big, massive, audacious goal and you focus on that end goal and say, I can never do it. I'm not good enough. But now what if you put in these small little steps and you say, just know yourself, today, I just need to put my sneakers by the bed. I may not even have the confidence yet to put them on. But you know what? In order for me to have the confidence to take my health seriously and go to the gym, I know that it takes stepping stones. So today I'm going to put my sneakers by my bed. Tomorrow I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to put them on. And you know what? I'm going to freaking celebrate those small wins. Because even if you feel insecure to go all the way into going to the gym and working out, you're giving yourself these little incremental moments of being proud of yourself. And then even with the insecurity, you can coach yourself and say, it's not a big deal. It's one small thing at a time. And that, at least for me, is what got me out of my own head about telling me all these big freaking audacious things about that I'm not good enough to do X, Y, and Z. And that, I believe, once you start doing that, it becomes the trickle effect. You do one little thing, it proves that you you can do it. You do one other little thing. It proves that you can keep a promise to yourself. You do one other little thing. It proves that you are the person that says you're going to do what you do, right? So you start building this credibility with yourself to get to the point where then eventually you take one step, one step in the gym. Now, maybe your big goal was to get muscle or whatever, or to lose a certain amount of weight. But the fact that you just took maybe a month to get to the gym is something you should be proud of. And hopefully that becomes now a confirmation that you can do the hard thing, even if it's small. So now that hopefully starts to play into your insecurity of it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have it. It just comes up with a plan and a strategy to, to make sure that when that insecurity, you know, rears its ugly head, you are not judging yourself for it and you've come up with a plan to move forward. Um, and so that to me is absolutely key in sitting down, giving yourself grace, accepting the fact that maybe right now you're not competent enough. 
to giving yourself the comfort, uh, the, the grace that maybe you don't have the skill set now. But you know what? You're the type of person that if you commit to it and you work hard at it, you will get there. Now repeat that after me. You repeat that to yourself every day. Like I might not be there yet, but I'm the kind of person that can learn and can one day get there. It's just giving yourself the confidence and the reassurance that you may not be there yet, but it can be done. Once you believe it can be done, you're putting in the small steps. Once you've done the small steps, they start becoming um, confirmation bias that it actually can be done. That once upon a time you did something, you, you sorry, now you're doing something that once upon a time you couldn't do. And now what ends up happening is you start to build the competence that, oh my God, I have the competence to do this. Once you get the competence to do it, you do it more and more. And then you go, oh my God, I actually believe in myself. And now I actually have the confidence to execute. It may take you a year. It may take you five years. But when you structure it like how I just laid out and you focus on the goal instead of focusing on when the hell am I going to feel good about myself to do it, you eventually get there. And now it becomes the um, the wax on wax off where you're like, oh, my God, I feel good about myself and I'm good at it. And it took me one step at a time. I love that. That's so beautiful, Lisa. And I really appreciate that reminder of, you know, oftentimes it takes us, I think what I'm hearing you say is oftentimes we have to action we have to make new choices, even when we're maybe feeling in complete opposition. We don't want to, we should be doing a million other things. I can't, right. This is only going to show me how much I can't. And again, just a reminder that more often than not, all of those thoughts and feelings, right. Which were of course grounded in our experiences don't necessarily need to be our, our end story. Like you're mm-hmm. saying with new actions, actions, feelings, follow actions. Um, and with new actions, we can build that confidence because the reality is everything we've been confirming most of us, at least up until whatever point we're starting at now has been confirmation of likely how unworthy, how insecure, how, you know, ineffectual or disempowered and understandably, then we feel that way. So to expect our feelings to change on a dime, and I would do this for myself. I would wait for motivation. I would wait Mm -hmm. to want to, as I say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the reality of it is, and I talk about this a lot in my work, we're never really going to want to. And like you said, unless it's that deep, dark moment where we have no, no other option, but to go up, if you will, um, we don't really want to ever. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, how do I change in absence of wanting to? And I love that very beautiful illustration um, that you offered and the acknowledgement of grace and compassion along the way, and also something else, honesty. And I love the titles um, of all of your your chapters, for lack of a better, the sections of your book. And in in talking about honesty, and one of your chapters is in called Embrace the Ick, open up that can of worms. And I think this is really important to talk about, especially if you're in the group like me and you, right? There was never really a complete rock bottom. Life didn't implode around us per se, yet there was some discontent, lack of fulfillment. I don't know what words you would use and going to ask you right now. Um, But when we talk about embracing the ick and being honest and opening that can of worms, um, what do you mean by that? And and what role really does that play for us on on our journey to radical confidence? Cuz yeah, here's the thing. I think when you're stuck in that, when you're in those places where you don't hit rock bottom, at least for me, it was like, I have a roof over my head. Right. I have a husband that mm-hmm. loves me. 
you know, and how ungrateful am I to say that I'm bored? How ungrateful am I to say that I don't enjoy my life because there's nothing exciting, right? And so you, at least for me, I coached myself into thinking that I didn't have it that bad. And the Mm -hmm. truth was I didn't. And so because of that, I never asked for more. I never asked for my dream life. I never, you know, said, hey, I'm unhappy. And the problem is, and I'm actually really curious to hear what you think about this, because, um, you know, we've had so many discussions. And obviously, I'm sure in your practice, gratitude is such an important aspect. And in hindsight, I've been really thinking about this. I was using gratitude so much that it ended up keeping me stuck. And I do believe it was my gratitude Mm. that actually ended up holding me back. Because I had, I was so grateful every time I felt badly about myself. The truth was I would remind myself, but look how beautiful your life is. You have a husband that loves you. You know how many people don't have a partner or have lost a partner or broken up with a partner or are alone, and they would do anything to have someone love them as much as my husband loves me, right? So I coach myself, and I'm reminding myself of all the beauty that life brings. But because of that, I then said, well, hang on a minute, how ungrateful are you to ask for more? And so I'm really like, it's like become this new thing that I'm really working through of like how I articulate that to people and how we actually like um, use it as a strength, which I think it can be, but it turned into a detriment. And part of the book that as I was actually in real time writing it, I realized that, oh my God, we can be over the moon, ecstatic with some parts of our life. And yet we have every right to speak up and say, no, I hate this other part of my life. This is not satisfactory. This isn't the life I want. And I think we have every right to do it. And where I was going back to the question about that the chapter open up the can of worms and embrace the egg is was for so long I didn't want to open up the can of worms because the can of worms I liken it to asking the hard questions because once you ask them you have to face the answer mm-hmm. and so many of us don't want to face the answer I mean I again I've had you on my couch so many times and I've had other therapists on my couch so many times that say you know what every time a couple came to see me about their relationship like 99.9999% of the time someone eventually says, you know what? I knew this relationship was over five years ago or 10 years ago Mm. or a year ago, but I never like, but I just thought I could get through it. And so many of us see those red flags a long time ago, but we don't want to ask the hard question because once you do making that change is difficult. And sometimes we think being in this unhappy marriage is actually less painful than having to address leaving this unhappy happy marriage. And for me, my journey was, I was no longer happy as being a stay at home wife. I was taking care of my husband. And I realized I really don't want to take care of him anymore. And I don't want children. Like those were two massive dramatic, um, you know, um, realizations that I had in my adult life. And so I really had to open up the can of worms and ask myself, first of all, actually, do I want children? Even just asking myself that question for I don't know, 30 years, I just assumed I was going to. Mm-hmm. So now when I realized the answer was no, I don't want children. Now the embracing the ick is having to tell my husband, hey, babe, I know that you married someone that said that they were going to spend their life taking care of you and having four children. 
but I now no longer want to take care of you. I want you to put out your own clothes, to cook for yourself. And hey, I don't want any children because I want to go out and crush this entrepreneurship thing that I absolutely love and has never made me feel more alive. Now you can understand, in like it's a freaking hard thing to ask first and then answer because then you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of easy to pretend if you don't address it, but once you address it, you then have to deal with it. And so for me, embracing the ick was having to tell my husband and then seeing, I didn't know how he was going to react. I can go into it with the most grace and strategy and use the right words and, you know, come from it from compassion and love. But at the end of the day, if he turned around and said, well, hang on a minute, you've changed. I married someone that wanted children. Children are a big part of what I want. And so sorry, you know, now you have to decide. We're the same. And now look, he didn't say that, but I'm just saying that mm-hmm. it opens up the possibility of that happening, which then leads us, I think, into playing it safe. And the safe mm-hmm. option often is the, um, what is the, that phrase, the, um, more the devil, you know, the devil, we know. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the possibility of change itself is threatening. Um, I talk mm-hmm. about this a lot in my work. There's, you know, we are wired to stay in those familiar habits, patterns, playing those familiar roles. Again, a lot of which are really colored by our early experiences, by beliefs passed on in our family, by what we're taught we should or need to do. And then we adapt them as our own. And the reality is, Lisa, even if we're not looking, our head is in the sand, we're not looking at that place of life where, you know, things could be different. It doesn't mean that those feelings aren't there and accumulating. And the issue then becomes, right, when we're resentful, we're angry, we're reactive, we might not have the language as to why, because maybe we're not really allowing ourselves to be fully conscious, though it doesn't mean that it's not leaking out in other places. And then kind of like, once you know, you know, right? Once you begin to ask these questions and you do then kind of come up with the possibility that change might be more in alignment with what you want or what you need, now it is scary. You brought up the word safety. The unknown, something new, right, doesn't feel safe. Um, And a lot of times, you know, when we're faced with that, it does feel safer to deal with the devil we know, just to be as we are. And I love what you're thinking about in terms of gratitude. And I think it's a dance in a lot of Mm. ways, because what the practice of gratitude is, is being with the ick, right? Asking the questions, really beginning Mm. to unearth what's going on, how you really feel, what you really want. And, And the reality of it is gratitude is being connected or, you know, present to what's so, and what's so for us, we're complex. What's so might be, I feel really fulfilled in some areas and in others, I might not. And the more I think we expand into that, where we don't have to have a sweeping statement, I'm all good or all bad. And our brain loves to do that. It's very black and white. If we can really expand and begin to say, you know what? There are many things I'm grateful for. And there are some areas that I grew, I changed. I've become more aware of myself. I have different needs. And again, it might mean embracing the fear, the risk, the uncertainty of change. But again, ultimately in the long run, usually what we're left with is a very empowering journey, at least more into alignment with ourselves. Oh, that was so freaking fire. Like, yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. It's so true. Like the, the fear of it and then what it unearths, like you said, is, um, can be so freaking crippling. So scary. And then just to complicate things further and and again, kind of going down this path, you know, because, and I know you share a lot in your book about 
you know, this idea of being a housewife and caring for your husband and caring, you know, with kids. I know for you, a lot of it is a lot of my beliefs were, as a lot of many, our beliefs are grounded in our past and our families and mm. our culture and our heritage. So bringing that up now to acknowledge that not only might change, right. Shatter your relationship with Tom, right. That was a very real possibility that he might've said, you know, Lisa, like this is still important to me when we change oftentimes others are impacted. We do still have connections with that family at home that doesn't necessarily fully agree with the choices that we're making. So, you know, I'm wondering kind of how you navigated that along the way, really kind of coming to the awareness that some of the choices you might begin to make might not really fall underneath kind of what was expected or desired of you, given your culture and your family and yeah, it's, it, I love this question because it becomes about, to your point, about the belief system that we hold. Mm -hmm. And this was actually before I did really mindset work. So it wasn't like nice and neat, right? It was really, it was super freaking clunky. Actually isn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was so freaking clunky. It was like, I don't think I want kids and it's like well why can't I even like bring myself to talk about it right and so it was like un you even said unearth that's a beautiful word it's like unearth all these um the, the belief system that I had so that's where I started instead of judging myself for the feelings that I had I actually stopped and said okay why is this hard for me to talk about and hard for me to consider and it was because of the belief I had and so as I started to really think through it it was like oh I had the belief system that if you weren't a uh, if you didn't have children then you weren't nurturing and that was a message I got told like people would say like oh well yeah of course like she's you know you're nurturing if you have children and so it became a mindset and so I had to go oh hang on do I actually believe that so identifying the belief and then saying does it actually ring true to me and when I go, well, hang on a minute, if I'm not nurturing, no, I love, I do love taking care of my husband. Like I still do it on a Saturday and Sunday because I want, I want to feel that nurturing element. And I love that. Um, and then just thinking through, okay, well, um, legacy, that was another thing. It's like, well, who's going to live, you know, mm. take on, take my legacy. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. That's again, something I'm just repeating. It's like, what does actually legacy mean to me? And so instead of saying, what does legacy mean to the whole world? What does it actually mean to me? And so for me, it was like, Oh, well, when I die, I want to be remembered. Okay, but what does that actually mean, Lisa? Be remembered in what way? Because you can be, you don't have to give birth to your own children. Like be remembered how? And then really like identify all these ick points. Like I wanted to feel what it was like to have a baby grow inside me. I've been dreaming about that since I was a kid. And so when I actually thought, oh, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have children, it's like, that's not a reason to have children. So I was like, okay, having nine months of a baby growing, yes, it would be wonderful. But now it's literally the next, the rest of my life having a child. Okay, Lisa, is that and a word? <laughs> yes. Like really like, okay, while you wanted it, is that the reason why you should? Yes or no? It's like, okay, no, it's not. But here was the other caveat thing. So I had to process mourning the things I was letting go of. So as I started to go through, do I want children or not? What are the things of why I thought I would have? And then do I still believe them? Things like, I really want a baby to grow inside me. Things like, I want I wanted to see a mini Tom run around my house. Like you have no idea. Oh, it can freaking break my heart in a second mm -hmm. with his little ears, like a little kid. Oh my God, mommy. Like in the little American accent, it would die, I would die. <laughs> like, and I have a daughter that I could help with a mindset, like to like all the things that I've learned growing up of like how to believe in herself, all these things I love the idea of. 
I realized that wasn't a reason to have children, but I had to mourn that feeling that I thought I was going to get. And that those elements allowed me to take one thing that I once upon a time saw as absolutely not even something you ever even spoke about, thought about, let alone sit out loud and then decided upon, how I then took it upon myself, processed it, worked through my own emotions of how I felt about it, and then was able to start talking out loud. But I knew that I wasn't ready to talk to other people until I had processed every element, because I fear that when someone pushes back, because no one's ever always going to agree, right? We know that. And when they don't, do you feel the pressure? And do you, are you easily swayed? You know, so it's like, I like to be very open to other people's opinions. But at the same time, I'm never going to get bullied into making a decision that's that isn't right for me and that was basically my decision I made after being stuck for eight years so that's kind of how I took something that I wasn't sure about or I thought I was going to do I processed it really came to that conclusion and then let go of it because that was the next thing and the final thing that I need to let go of it and I never wanted regrets and so I thought what can I do now that in 20 years and 30 years if something happens I don't regret it because the truth was, while I didn't like to admit it, what if Tom died? Like, it's a hard thing to think about, but I knew I never wanted to have regret. So I had to look at every single angle of this decision I was going to make. And I said, all right, Lisa, you've decided not to have children. You love the life with your husband and your business. And what happens if in five years, God forbid, something happens to him? And now, Lisa, you're too old to bear your own children. Would you have regretted this decision you're making now? And so I also had to process that. And so I said, no, to make a decision now out of fear that one day I'll regret it. I was like, that doesn't sit well within me. That doesn't compute with the person I want to show up every day to be. Yeah. And so many people, I think, kind of live in that mindset of fear-based, what-if scenarios, trying to prevent something that we don't even know whether or not it will actually happen. And I really want to acknowledge you, Lisa, for sharing everything you did, not only in this book, but, you know, right here, right now, because I know, especially around children and family and the pressure, I think that especially a lot of women feel um, in terms of making those decisions, you know, that, that do take this level of contemplation and honesty. Um, it's, it's not something, you know, to be taken lightly. And I think a lot of women shame, you know, we shame ourselves mm. for desires that we have or don't have, or we should be feeling in a different way. And then maybe we do have families pressuring us and partners, and it's much more complicated. A lot of these decisions than just like, do I want to have a child? Like the way you were able to pick apart and first understand where some of the belief of wanting a kid or wanting a family came from, that's incredibly helpful because a lot of us, they, they never were our thoughts. Mm. We might've come from a family where we were told that. And if we were honest, those aren't actually in alignment with what we want. However, then as we explore what we want, it might get more complicated. We might find certain aspects of a given decision that are attractive or do resonate with us and others don't. Right. And then how do we make sense and explore then what the path is forward? Also acknowledging as beautifully as you did, that often the path means mourning. These decisions aren't made lightly. We are having selves and, and roles and maybe families and ideas that we lived our life around that will not happen now. We are changing. And that's a process of change. And 
I think a lot about it, how crazy when we're talking about transforming, we also have to make space for what we're shedding, for the loss that goes along with it. And I just want to thank you because again, I know some of these conversations are, are difficult. And I know a lot of times we don't know how to make sense when we are in conflict, you know, even within ourselves around some of, of these choices, especially again, when they impact other people. That's what's so hard, right? It's like, look, getting over our own thoughts is difficult <laughs> enough. <laughs> and so once you've done that, you're That's like, now I have to share it with the world and right. get like backlash as well. Right. And that was a big pop. So my mom growing up literally, Literally on the daily found, you know, a way to say being a grandmother was her goal in life <laughs> on the freaking daily. Yeah. And it got to the point where she kept asking me, even if I told her we decided not to, and she kept asking me and it became a, a bit of a friction between us. And so I had to sit her down and say, look, mom, I love you more than life itself. But, you know, when you're asking me, even though I've told you, I've decided not to, you are by asking me, it feels like you're trying to persuade me and that you don't respect my decision. And so let's talk through that. And she's like, well, I don't want you to regret it. So I was like, okay, let's talk through it. Right. And then being open with the people around you. And that's the other thing is giving, giving them grace that even if it, though it is your life, it is going to impact them. So like giving my mom grace that she also had to mourn thinking that she was going to be a grandmother, you know, and saying, mom, what do you need from me right now? This isn't, it, I'm not going to be persuaded, right? But look, I love you. And I recognize that this is breaking your heart. And this is very sad for you you to hear. Um, so what do you need right now? How can I support you as you're going through this mourning period of recognizing that your daughter no longer wants to have children? And so me being there for my mom as like her support system actually helped me. Like it became this, like, I always think of things as teamwork and the same with my husband. It's like, how do you encourage that person to be part of your journey? And once upon a time, I used to come in because I wasn't confident going back to that. I used to come in and be like, I'm not having kids and what, you know, there's nothing you can say can change my mind. Right. And I'm like, putting the stake in the ground mm -hmm. because I don't have enough um, energy or confidence that I can take anyone pushing back. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that wasn't the right strategy. Like, to be honest, it was actually more beautiful by saying, hey, look, here's something I'm struggling with. This is the decision I've made. And I really want you to help me, you know, come through it and work through it. And um, when I did that with my husband, it was beautiful because now he felt needed. He didn't feel like he was on the outside side he felt like I was you know reaching out to him as a partner and to me that's what partnership is it's not a one-way street I had recognized that I was the one that changed I've changed and so to go to him to be like well you gotta like it this is who I am now is actually dismissing given you're taking away an opportunity where your partner can show up for you and so for me to like really give him the opportunity to say, babe, like, this is what makes me happy. I freaking love work. And I really want your support on it. And to, for him to be able to show up now, you know, we've been together for 20 years and he feels good about the fact that he was able to support me through my journey. And now imagine I took that away from him. So it becomes like this dual purpose of showing grace. And then also there's a part of grace that actually comes from confidence where you're saying, look, I'm going to give you space to actually push back. And that's okay. I don't mind because I've made my decision. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And that really, Lisa, is in so many ways grounded in your own security or confidence in your mm -hmm. decision. And to speak to that point of, you know, putting my stake in the ground, I think for some of us, that's 
the middle of the journey, right? When we don't mm-hmm. yet, like you're saying, we haven't maybe taken the time alone to really fully explore ourselves and developed confidence through those small promises each day where I'm empowering myself to know that I can, even amidst maybe misunderstanding, maybe adversity, maybe outright, you know, opposition to whatever it is. All of that, again, happens over time. Um, And when we don't give ourselves that time, we do become very reactive. And I love that part of your book. I'm really happy you brought it up right now about your mother and that kind of realization that when we are sharing things with people, our changes, our transformations, our new choices, our new radical confidence, even it likely will have an impact, especially in the relationships that we've carried over time. Because the one thing that we've done over that time, both of us, both parties included, whether it's our mom, our partner, our best friend, is we've both fulfilled each other's expectations, right? We've mm-hmm. always showed up in the same way. We've always been available. We've always talked about having kids in a family. And yes, mom, when she said, when's my grandkid? Well, no, it's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And now one day you're like, well, just kidding, right? So at minimum, we're going to surprise our loved ones mm-hmm. as we begin to act, be, embrace our new radical confidence. And at minimum, again, like we've been talking about, anytime something new happens, right? It's going to jolt us out of that comfort zone. Then of course, much more complicated when there are very real impacts. Here's now your mother who won't have the opportunity to grandparent her, her daughter's thesis child, right? So having that compassion and the way you worded it around navigating, right? The use of boundary with your mom and also the use of compassionate boundary and that space to mutually understand each other. I just found it was so beautiful and something you're doing in that moment. Not only are you gifting Tom, your loved one, your mom, the ability to show up in support. I think what we're doing when we're embracing our radical confidence, our transformation in that way, we're also gifting other people when we hold space for them to be new. We're gifting other people with the space to do something outside of what maybe they've once done as well. And that for me is, is love, right? Again, because just like those expectations build up, if you have a partner who's always responded in this one way, it's so easy to come up with our armor on and, and, you know, anticipate we're going to get that same negative reaction to steal ourselves against and to shout at them what we need, right? As opposed to saying, okay, maybe they've had hard times with my change along the way, but I'm going to gift them with this opportunity not to come in shield and armed. I'm going to come into this and it's a new moment. And what you're doing again is you're giving that now human an opportunity for some space. And maybe initially they'll have a reaction, but to come around and to also embrace whatever it is, newness, radical confidence in them. And I think that is such a testament, like you're saying, to the teamwork, to the cooperation. And again, whether or not you're listening and you have a romantic partner, this applies to our friends, our family. I mean, one of the reasons I made the self-healer circle, any relationship can hold that very, very beautiful space. And I just love kind of the way you're thinking about um, the impact that we have, even when we're developing something as logically positive, if you will, as confidence, the reality of it is there might be dominoes that fall in reaction to us embracing these new choices. Yeah. And to add to everything you just eloquently said is that when is someone that we love, we want them to yes. be happy. And so now when you're faced with my decision that's going to make me happy, it's actually going to be extremely detrimental to the person that I love. It's harder to do. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the reasons 
why we don't say it in the first place and we don't open the can of worms is because you know when if we're brought up to be people pleasers or mm-hmm. we, we get external validation right yeah like a, I everyone put your hand up you know what we get external validation from the people around us from maybe our friends and our partners and our moms and dads and things like that when you know that what your your decision is about to absolutely directly impact them and directly impact them negatively, it's very hard. And then when it happens to, you don't want the friction. So then how do you handle the friction in those moments? And going back to one thing you said, it doesn't even have to be partners and friends. Um, I think it's very, very easy to be a great partner and a great friend when things are going amazingly well. Yes. (laughs) It is the, to me, I don't like to say the word test, but it really is somewhat of a test that we get tested in the hard moments. We get tested when it's not easy to be a friend and it collides with your life and it, it's not easy to be a partner and it's more uncomfortable for you, but how do you show up? And um, it's those moments that allow us to know whether this is a good relationship or not. So like with a partner with Tom, a lot of people say, oh my God, you guys are so lucky. It's like, it has nothing to do with luck. Let me tell you, the fact that my husband and we worked through him accepting my change and him supporting my change wasn't luck. That was communication. That was self-awareness. That was us deciding our relationship was more important and deciding that his happiness to me is more important. My happiness to him is more important than than being uncomfortable. And it's easy to say, but when you're there, how do they show up? And so it became a beautiful thing to see my husband show up time and time again. It became a beautiful thing that my mom, even though I literally, her dream in life woman was to be a grandmother, her dream in life. And I said, I'm not going to have kids. Like it took her a while to overcome it. And so we had to work through that. But because I gave her the grace and we did it together, and she didn't try, once I had, we had that heart to heart, she now has never tried to convince me. I feel heard. And because I feel heard, I feel even more safe with my mom. So all these things become these reinforcements. It's like, I'm not sure how much I want to say on this interview, but I reached out to you the other day and asked you for a favor as my friend. And your response was, of course, Lisa, in a freaking heartbeat. And it was, it's more work for you. It's putting you, you know, like you have to travel. You have to come to my house. We're doing an event. We're like, but all of this thing is way more difficult for you. You have to pause your business. You have to like, I understand what I'm asking you is worse for you. It's more uncomfortable for you. But your response was like in a freaking heartbeat. Those moments, those moments can never be replaced or changed. It's how you show up every day when someone, if you're the one, um, your partner reaching out to you or your friend reaching out to you or vice versa. And so while I don't like to say of it as a test, the point being is that if we can change the way we think and go, this is a great opportunity for my partner to show up for me or vice versa, if you're someone's putting a boundary on you or coming to you with a change, instead of saying, I can't believe that they're changing, maybe it would really behoove us to think about this is a beautiful opportunity for me to show up to be the person that I told them I would be. That's so incredibly beautiful. And, and I want to acknowledge how we are literally gifted with those opportunities. Should we, you know, use this mindset and view them as opportunities and reframe in really any given moment? And this is speaking to all the people out there who maybe, you know, feel badly about a reaction or didn't necessarily gift anyone space. Or, you know, I I, I often have moments where, you know, I'm I'm not this compassionate, confident. I I react to my fear more often than, you know, in those moments being, and I know the shame that we can then carry, especially 
as you begin to do the work and develop the confidence and, you know, you're, you're on your journey. And then these really feel like shameful setbacks. So a reminder here is these reframes, all of these tools that you're very beautifully offering on this interview and through your amazing new book are available in every moment. Um, and really honoring where each of us are on our journeys because we are in different moments. Um, and again, I'm saying this because I think we lock ourselves in so, so frequently to this idea that, oh, well, we've now made this choice and now there's nothing we can do to, to change, you know, the trajectory of that choice. And in my opinion, at least that's just simply not true. Any moment is the opportunity to, to show up in a new way, to begin to develop radical confidence, to begin to, you know, make and keep promises to yourself, even if you are someone who doesn't yet feel confident to begin the journey. And there might be, I don't even like to call them setbacks, pauses along the way, and then reminding yourself yet again of that word, opportunity. I just love that so much. But can I just actually, something you just said hit me really hard just now. So you said shame. Um that's actually another thing that I've started to learn to try and do is giving myself the grace to feel the shame. Because mm. what I started to do was started to beat myself up over feeling the shame. As like if you should have point, the feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, especially your point is so right that when you're doing the work and you become so self-aware, it almost sometimes becomes like, oh my God, I should have known better. Right. Like, I can't believe I lost my shit in that moment. Like now you start mm -hmm. to really feel the shame because you saw the red flags, but you chose to ignore them, even though you've done the work. And it's like, you've been working on yourself for like eight years and you're like, <laughs> how the hell do I still end up here? And that shame becomes even more. And then you're starting to be like, I can't believe I'm freaking shaming myself now i know the shame is that right and it becomes this like completely detrimental spiral that we just like start going down and so one thing i've started to do is like when i feel the shame give myself the grace and go oh okay it's there all right lisa don't worry about it it's part of being human remember about what you told yourself you were going to do in these moments of shame because you know it's just an you know your chemicals are making you feel a certain way so right now be okay with it, give yourself the grace, right? And now go, why is this not shameful? What is the, the beauty in this? And then that allows me to get out of the shame, pivot into the, the opportunity, like you said, the change in my perspective and saying like, oh, okay, I did this. I probably, um, I think I do believe that I messed up. Next time what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to do this and I'll see if that works. So I'm now not putting myself in a position where I then am forcing myself to pride myself on whether it worked or not. And I'm giving myself the grace to think through the shame, identify where it came from. And then instead of beating myself up, giving myself that alternative plan for next time. I absolutely love this. And before we end, I want to expand that into really this book, right? So much of developing radical confidence is this honesty, right? Is, is looking at ourselves in these moments, is understanding the complexity of all of our feelings. I think sometimes when we hear a book, oh, radical confidence, right? We intuitively or instinctually like, oh, well, this is just going to be about feeling good all the time mm -hmm. and right. Not looking at the things that feel bad. And I hate using good or bad, but for yeah. illustrative purposes. Yeah. And again, so much of your book is actually turning that on its head and is actually teaching us that the path to radical confidence is actually the path of this true knowledge of oneself, which means all of oneself, all of the feelings, all of the complexity, yeah. all of the wish we did differently, all of the want to do's that maybe again, weren't welcomed or were maybe shamed by others. It's really being present 
to all of our humanity. And I just really want to thank you again, what you share, your story, your humanity. And then on top of that, your really practical tools, I think is going to really impact um, our collective so greatly with this book. Um, so I urge anyone listening, not only to check out the book, Radical Confidence, I'm going to ask you in a second to let us know the release date and where we could get it and all of that good stuff, but also to follow along with all of your work, Lisa. When I met you and Tom and Impact Theory and Women of Impact, I mean, you really, you blew me away. You showed me a version of possibility that I didn't believe was possible because again, I was that insecure human, afraid of cameras, afraid of myself, my truth of putting myself out there and watching the two of you do it. And this is why I put myself out there now. Um, you were such an impact on my own journey. And not only were you living your truth so radically confidently um, for all the bumps along the road that it was, um, you, you saw in me um, my truth. And that, that was so meaningful to me. And it's one of the reasons why when you ask me to do something, I'm, I'm fully there and support. You are such an amazing human, such an amazing support. I'm so excited that now our self-healer soundboard community will get introduced to you and your work. So where can we find your book? Um, when is it officially out and whatever other accounts handles you want to shout out and we'll make sure everything is also tagged in the comments or in the the Thank episode right up, whatever the heck it's called. <laughs> notes, episode notes. There That's it the is. Word. Um Oh God, thank you so much. So you can find me or the book at radicalconfidence.com or follow me on Instagram at Lisa Billu. Um, I want to take a minute though, girl. So I've mentioned you in the book. I thank you. But I really wanted to say this in person, obviously in person on Zoom. Um so much of the lessons and things that I've written in this book, I've learned from you. And you coming on my show and just spreading your wisdom. But beyond that, just like our friendship. And I really want your audience to hear this because it's so freaking important. You show up in so many ways for me and have shown up in so many ways. And it's always it's like I said earlier, it's easy to say someone's a friend when things are going great, when things, when shit's hitting the fan and things are not, who shows up for you? And so A, you've just always shown up in spades and then B, just like your wisdom and having you as a friend and having you on my show. I've learned so many of these lessons from you. And that's why hopefully actually like the book brings more value because I was someone that insecure, just kept showing up, didn't know what I was doing, falling on my face, like learning over and over. I think you were one of my first therapists. And I'm like, I don't know how to talk to a therapist. <laughs> right. And it's like, she knows so much more. What questions do I have to ask her? You know? And so you came on with such grace. And so you, you've taught me in real time. And then also you so freaking show up like as the person of what you preach, like when it comes to boundaries and self-care and mindset, like to me, having a friend that really does follow that is so powerful. And girl, like the fact that you show up and are very firm on your boundaries and who you are um, is a beautiful display. So I know that I'm just kind of gushing now and I'm totally fangirling out, but you know that I freaking love you, homie. <laughs> um and so, yeah, like all, all these things that I've struggled with, so much of it has been that things that you've taught me and you've helped me coach through. So, um, yeah, thank well, you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> I'm smiling. I have chills, all the things. And I think what's really beautiful here for all the listeners is how, you know, mutual and supportive and, you know, honest 
relationships can be. And this is, you know, not the relationships that I had experienced for a very long time. There was so much dishonesty, not, I didn't feel confident enough to tell people what I wanted, what I thought, how I felt, because I was always so concerned about how that would be for them, what they would think of me. I really did in my heart, as I think all of us humans do want to be supportive and loving and show up for people around us. And if in the moment I thought my needs didn't align with that, I just diluted my truth. Um, and there's just so much of so much authenticity and so much we limit ourselves to then experience in relationships when we're not true. So when we develop the confidence to be who we are and stand to in, in our reality, being able to show up in moments for people and maybe not being able to show up in other moments and still having that understanding that there's still love and connection and support there, I think is one of the most incredible journeys. And it's been such an honor to get to know you on this more personal level and to have the opportunity for you to allow me to support you and to receive my support and then vice versa, because it is a practice. It's very hard, mm -hmm. I think, to yeah. allow ourselves sometimes to be supported by other people. And so thank you for showing up as you do, for showing up in the world as you do, and now for putting this amazing work into the world and I'm thank you for your time and your energy today as always and looking forward to connect with you on this very exciting event we have coming up. Oh yeah, homie. <laughs> it's through it. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Look, looking forward to continuing this conversation with you on next episode of the soundboard.